Nisan Bolivinaka, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Go Okoroi Hawkins. Coming up first. The fact is, the United States has these major security concerns. The United States and the Marshall Islands aim for compact MOU this year. We sung the New Zealand anthem and I just felt I was playing for the wrong team. Pacific Tests, always an emotional time for Kiwi Pacifica players. And we talanoa to Kanak lawyer Joseph Eule on being admitted to Harvard Law. Leaders from the United States and the Republic of the Marshall Islands said after completing the first round of talks last week that they hope to complete negotiations to renew provisions of an economic and security treaty by the end of this year. Washington sees the extension of funding packages under compacts of free association with the Marshall Islands and neighbours the Federated States of Micronesia and Palau as a hedge against expanding Chinese diplomatic influence in the Pacific Island region. RNZ Pacific's correspondent in the Marshall Islands, Gif Johnson, covered the meeting and joins me now. Kia ora, Gif. Tell us more about how the meetings went down. The feedback that I received from the some of the people involved in it was just, you know, they felt it was a very friendly dialogue, right? And the way the whole thing has been pitched to me generally is that the Marshall Islands is saying to the U.S., look, we're part of the team here. You know, the Marshall Islands has been an ally, a friend, a partner of the U.S. since World War II, after, you know, when the Americans first came out here. And if you, you know, if you listen to what some of the leaders say, they're, they're just very blunt about it. You know, we're, we're in the American family, but there are things we expect that the United States needs to do to take care of some of the issues that we have and that this is the time to do it during these negotiations on the Compact of Free Association. So there are some key outcomes from the meeting last week at Kwajalein. And of course, you we appreciate when we see the picture and everything is that, that we're in a COVID-free situation. We don't allow people in. So this was a you know, a, a very big deal to let a group of people come in without quarantine and all this stuff. So, I mean, they went through so many COVID tests. The U.S. side must have been tested like four times in three days or something. I mean, it was just kind of unbelievable. But so they had to, they couldn't shake hands. You know, they were, they had to be separate, wear face masks and all that. So, you know, that was a little cumbersome and, you know, how that may have affected the meeting or whatever. But, Basically, both the U.S. Ambassador, uh, Joseph Yoon, who's heading the U.S. delegation, he gave me a comment after the first day uh, or at the end of the first day, beginning of the second day. Same with the Marshall Islands Foreign Minister, Keetlan Kabua, and both of them described it as a really, you know, friendly discussion. Okay, Um, so I think that's the way both sides are trying to pitch it. Um, whether it's, you know, 100% true, well, of course, there's nuance, but I think they both feel that it's it's not an adversarial thing like it was maybe 35, 40 years ago when the first one was done during the Cold War period and all that. It's, it's just a, quite a different uh, thing at this time. Uh, it was interesting reading the, the urgency. That, that wasn't something that I was aware of 
um, the urgency seeming to come from Washington as well. Uh, what's the, what do you think is behind that? Okay, so there's a number of elements here. From a practical point of view, the current funding agreement within the compact expires uh, September 30 next year. So a little over one year from now is the end of the 20-year funding package that's part of the compact. And you appreciate that the compact as an overarching treaty between the U.S. and the Marshallands does not end. It's a security and development uh, uh, treaty that is ongoing. It's perpetual in that, but there are these agreements within it, these subsidiary agreements like use of Kwajalein, for the missile testing range, the, you know, things like the postal services agreement and, you know, some of these things, which then are, are set for a specific period of time and the funding arrangement runs out next year. So that's a deadline of sorts. Um, And then the U S is saying they want to get something into the Congress. The U S fiscal year is begins October one. And so that seems to be this push now for getting the, they're calling it an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding signed in September, uh, and then continuing the talks with a a wrap up, they're saying like sometime in the winter, which would be for, for the US would be like by the end of the year or beginning of next year. But from like an observational point of view, like stand back and look at it, you, you have to ask is, well, who does the rush benefit? And the fact is, yeah, the U, the United States has these major security concerns that have been ongoing. And but those are not the Marshall Islands issue. OK, the Marshall Islands issue is it has a good relationship with the U.S. It wants to maintain it but it also wants to solve the nuclear weapons test legacy. It wants to address some, some issues within the agreement for using the Kwajalein missile range. And it wants to get climate change uh, response included in the compact, things like this. I mean, climate, nobody was talking climate 20, 30 years ago. So it's a new element, right, to like factor in. So the Marshall Islands has its issues, many of which dovetail with the U.S. And the fact of the matter is the nuclear test legacy is the bilateral issue of most importance to these two countries. I mean, it's, you know, it's a huge issue. And right now, it's a bit of a black eye for the U.S. because there are so many aspects of it which haven't been addressed. This Saturday's highly anticipated test match between the Kiwis and Mate Maatonga is set to be an emotional one with players putting their bodies on the line for their countries. But for Pacifica players, it is made all the more personal as they have to choose between representing New Zealand and their island nations of heritage. Finau Funua reports. With the Rugby League World Cup taking place in September, Kiwi's second row Isaiah Papali'i, who is of Samoan heritage, says it was his upbringing that ultimately determined his decision to represent New Zealand. I think growing up here in New Zealand I've, as a grassroots Kiwi player and I guess when it comes to choosing between uh, either country, that's what kind of makes me lean towards playing for um, the Kiwis is the fact that they uh, brought me up in their system and and taught me uh, the game of rugby league. However, 
Isaiah Papali'i admits there would be a personal dilemma if his team were to encounter Samoa in the tournament. Uh, I haven't had to come across that um, that problem yet, but I think I think it will be a bit bit of a weird thing um, going going up against uh, a team that you could be, also be playing for. The personal dilemma hits hard for Kiwi Ferns prop Aneta Claudia Nuoasala. She's chosen to play for New Zealand over her island nation of heritage Samoa. In a test match against Samoa last year, she says the conflict of interests affected her performance. It didn't really hit me till I guess we sung the New Zealand anthem and I just felt I was playing for the wrong team. So um, I think if that opportunity arises again, I think I would most probably try and honour my parents the best way I could, which would be to play for Samoa. In this weekend's game, Kiwi star fullback Dalin Watene Zalizniak, whose father is Tongan, will play against Tonga in a highly anticipated international test match. Matema Tonga is highly favoured to beat the Kiwis due to a large presence of star players claiming Tongan heritage. Zelezniak is one of the few players of Tongan heritage who have refused to jump on the Tongan bandwagon. My dad's half Tongan, half Polish, and my mum's um, Māori, so my mum's grandfather represented the Kiwis and captained the Kiwis and that, so, um, so that's, a, that's a big reason why I chose the Kiwis and when, I was, uh, when I was 18 and why I continue to still choose them. But yeah, one day, one day yes, I definitely want to play for Tongan. Kiwi's Ferns winger Caitlin Vahakolo, who is of Tongan heritage, echoed the sentiments of her fellow Pacifica teammates. The Kiwi Ferns will play the Tongan Women's Rugby League team before the main event between the men's team. And Caitlin Vahakolo says playing against her nation of heritage is part of the challenge. I think it's very challenging to have to play against my own culture this weekend, but... Um... Hopefully one day I'll get to play for them. That's definitely one of my goals. But yeah, um, if I do play for Tonga this year, it'll make me ineligible for the squad. Um, but yeah, it is challenging, and I feel like I'm. I feel like when they do the Tongan dance, I'm going to cry. There's no dilemma, however, when asked about who she would support when the men's team clash. Um, Tonga, Kai <laughs> Tonga. <laughs> yeah, I'm going for Tonga. <laughs> the doubleheader will kick off at 3:10 p.m. at Mount Smart Stadium. An indigenous Kanak from New Caledonia has become the first person to graduate as a lawyer and win an award to further his studies at Harvard Law School. Auckland Law student Joseph Eule is the winner of the prestigious Fulbright Award. He will complete a Master of Laws in Criminal Justice Reform and Indigenous Peoples' Rights at Harvard in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Elisha Foon spoke with him about his aspirations to further his studies on reformation in the criminal justice system in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm really grateful to um, Fulbright New Zealand uh, for entrusting me with such an auspicious uh, honour. You know, and, and I want this to be a thread uh, throughout everything I do, is that it means a lot to uh, Kanak people. I really hold closely uh, my heritage. I'm the first Kanak to be awarded a Fulbright Award and also to attend Harvard uh, in any capacity, really. I'm really privileged uh, to have been in, you know, and you know, to have all of these uh, great support structures around me, particularly my family and, and my friends. 
Tell me about your upbringing and the significance of your heritage. So by way of background, um, on my father's side, I'm, I'm an Indigenous Kanak. Uh, our family is from one of the outer islands known as Lifu. And our village, uh, our villages are uh, Hanawa and Hunete. And they're in a place called um, Siloam in the northern part of uh, um, Lifu Island. And on my um, mother's side, I'm Samoan, uh, mainly from the villages of uh, Lufi Lufi and Fangamalu. I was born in Numea, uh, capital city of New Caledonia, and my family moved to New Zealand when I was around maybe five or six years old. Uh, we settled in Papatoitoi, which is a suburb in South Auckland, and I'm really grateful that my family placed our roots in South Auckland. I'm so proud to, to have grown up in that community, um, to be amongst uh, you know, a, a really thriving Pacific Island community here in, in Aotearoa. Yeah. Have you always wanted to be a lawyer? Um, well, I think uh, taking it back one step, uh, as you know, the indigenous people of New Caledonia, um, uh, or, or rather New Caledonia, is still uh, a French overseas territory. And uh, for a lot of Canuck people, uh, we've been fighting for our independence, um, you know, uh, for, for hundreds of years, since 1853, when our country was annexed to the French Republic. And, um, you know, I grew up uh, learning about a lot of that history from my father and um, from my family, who were quite politically active, especially during um, the 1980s, which saw quite a strong resurgence in the independence movement in New Caledonia. And I always thought that um, uh, one of the uh, ways to affect change was to uh, become a lawyer, because I saw, you know, um, a lot of people who in history uh, have used, um, you know, their, their talents and their skills and, and their passion uh, to bring about change, a lot of them were lawyers, people like um, Nelson Mandela, for, for example. So I, th I thought uh, from a pretty early age, I'd say, maybe when I was around even 13, 14 years old, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something uh, that would meaningfully impact uh, the, the struggle and, and cause for independence uh, in New Caledonia. Um, and then as I, as, as I got older, and as I went through law school at, um, at the University of Auckland, um, and because my parents were were really involved in their communities, they worked um, uh, for both uh, Monaco City Council, as it was then, and Auckland City Council, working in uh, South Auckland. And um, I, I grew up being around uh, this this real great uh, community and um, my parents were always part of things like, uh, you know, youth development events and uh, getting um, uh, particularly Pacific Island communities involved in uh, local governance and local politics. That really inspired me to also want to help create meaningful change uh, within the lives of Pacific Island communities here in Aotearoa. Um, and that led me eventually um, to wanting to become a criminal lawyer, which is uh, most of what I've practiced um, in my sort of short career. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted to bring change to the criminal justice system, where we see a lot of um, uh, people of colour uh, have a really intimate and negative relationship with the criminal justice system, particularly Maori and Pacific Island peoples. So I felt that being a criminal lawyer would help me to 
bringing some kind of reformation to what really is a quite a broken criminal justice system here in Aotearoa. What encouragement do you have for other big dreamers of Pacific descent? Well, you don't have to go to Harvard. You don't have to uh, go and be a, a lawyer or anything like that. Um, as long as you're really true to that conviction and really honest about why uh, you do everything and you never forget uh, where it is that you come from, you'll find ultimately that uh, I think the world kind of conspires to support that vision and support that goal. I, I'm not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, the most impressive or intelligent person, but I, I, I'm really grateful that I've always known what it is that I that I want to do, who I do it for, and um, I've always been true uh, to myself. Anyone, whether they're in whether they're in New Caledonia, Samoa, you know, the South Pacific, uh, or another suburb in 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 Tamaki Makoto, um, they all have the capacity and the capability to do uh, what I've done. And you know what? I hope even better. Uh, and there certainly are tons and tons of young people out there who who have what it takes um, to achieve all of their lofty goals. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Looking for that next time more.